0: Hey, this is J.D. McPherson, and when I'm not kicking tires, I'm listening to the Jukebox Graduate.
1: Thank you, J.D. Fantastic musician. Uh, Really, really nice guy, and we're going to speak about him a little later in this show. Yes. Uh, I'm Eugene Edwards. And I'm Dave Rayburn. And this is the Jukebox Graduate. Hi Dave. Hi Gene. <laughs> okay so obviously uh, as people can tell by the audio that uh, I'm phoning this one in right? Yes okay uh, I'm asking you like I, like, I don't know um, <laughs> well
0: I called you so I mean it, that's, that's it, it's, true. you did call me yeah. It's all about that's spin right, right?
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you say that
0: <laughs> No what's really funny is that uh, this morning I was uh, trying to sample some of the new Friday morning music. And I put on the new Yoko Ono album, and one of my dogs left the room.
1: (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. He left the room to go get his buddies to bring him back, so they could all enjoy it.
0: It's all about spin. Pretty easy. (laughs) That was pretty easy. What have you been up to? Been busy. It's, with with work and with uh, and and getting out to some some shows here and there. I Actually, just uh, caught you uh the night before last out
1: here in Anaheim. That's right. So yeah, we played the uh, and I. Now, by the way, yeah, <laughs> I, in my brain, I keep think I keep thinking we're playing the House of Blues when we play there. Right. That's the House of Blues, is it? It's not. It's the City National. The National gro- Grove of Anaheim. Uh, uh, the angels of los angeles yeah it's What's prob- anaheim and
0: they- <laughs> there's multiple levels to the name of the venue i think but uh, um, i okay. call it the grove
1: can i tell you something yes uh the day of that show and we we you know we did a sound check so we got there early i drove myself first mistake i <laughs> I, I just i drove to the house of blues in anaheim oops and it's but, not uh, there Dis- anymore the Dis- no, the, well, the disney not oh. the one in sunset but the I mean I got the county. Well there's correct. the new one. What new one?
0: The the new uh Anaheim House of Blues.
2: Well,
0: maybe they, that's the one I They watched. moved from the the Disney area and I don't I haven't been to the new place yet but I do have tickets to see Costello there uh next month but it's a larger venue but it's the new Anaheim House of Blues. So
1: Okay, yeah, that's the one I I went to. Okay. Uh and so I did a, I just checked it out for you.
0: Thank you. And how is so, it?
1: yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. It's there. It, it's 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 there i made sure it was there for you it's and, impressive from outside um, yeah it just goes to show that on day of show musicians we're, we're five years old and we cannot be trusted <laughs> to do anything for ourselves and and by the way i'm being very generous when i just limit it to the day of show thing um but i just pulled up and i realized hey this isn't where we play and I realized oh, I'm like seven minutes away from where we're I'm really supposed to be. So, uh, but it was, uh, you know, thankfully I got there and it was lovely to see you and, and, and uh, you brought a friend now, this friend won't be particularly significant to our listeners, but well, sort of is.
0: Yeah. Because we've actually, we've actually uh, mentioned him in our, our, our mutual storyline right. and, uh, yeah, Gary Fitch, a uh, long, long time friend of mine. Um, and, and, as far as my own music goes, he was the guy that always pushed me to uh, to make music. Um, oh, cool. When, when I really had no faith in what I was doing, I just thought, oh, this is, you know, I'll kind of pretend. But he kept pushing and pushing, and, and he, even on a couple occasions, would just surprise me and say, oh, I booked you a show. Mm-hmm. When I wasn't looking to play a show, you know, he would just want to see yeah. me play. So
1: Sure, yeah, we kind of need those people who... <laughs> And then if, if the narrative goes another way, they're just they're bossy or they overreach. But then um, in, in this case, though, it was like the person who, who it was just this outside force that gave you that little nudge that you couldn't provide for yourself. Exactly. Does that sound? Yeah,
0: that's exactly it. And he kept yeah. pushing and pushing. And in fact, he's he's in a band called Planet Roy. And when Planet Roy went on hiatus, he actually offered uh, his band to be my backing band to rock out my Little singer songwriter acoustic songs, That's and cool. so that turned into the Dave Rayburn project, which we mm-hmm. we did a thing for for quite a few years and went out and played yeah. shows, and that was that was a lot of fun. So I have Gary to thank for pushing me to do all that. But but um, Gary is the guy that when he was going to to school up at um, Cal State University at Stanislaus. He told me, and this is around the time we, we both uh, bought DAT recorders, which we were using <laughs> to sneak into shows and bootleg shows. He asked me uh, on a Thursday night if I could head down to Anaheim to the Doll Hut, Linda's Doll Hut, and record this group called Russell Scott and his Red Hots. Have you heard of them?
1: At the time, I had.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, this is a band that you were in. And oh, oh, I see. Yes. And that's how it worked. And so, did I get myself to the show? <laughs> you did. Uh, although know. it was Anaheim. So I think you stopped at the House of Blues first. <laughs> um, well so, yeah, Gary actually encouraged me to bootleg uh, your band at the time um, because he had seen them at the Doll a couple times and knew that you had a Thursday night residency. And so that's how I was exposed to basically what was the beginning of the whole uh, Rockabilly Roots revival in the mid late nineties. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got introduced to you. Um, he had mentioned to me that you were a Springsteen fan and that's how I began our conversation uh, with that topic. Ah. And it, it hasn't stopped since. So,
1: And, then, and now we just record them.
0: Right. <laughs> <Those conversations. laughs> I and mean, In fact, when Gary was there in the lobby, I don't know if he caught this, but as we, the three of us were facing each other and talking and mainly you and I were gabbing, a little bit more, and he looked at me and said, "This is like watching a podcast."
2: Oh yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah. So uh, without him, um, this show wouldn't be uh, be happening at all. So it was great to be able to bring him out to see you play with Dwight for the first time, and uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it. That was a great set.
1: Thank you so much. It's, yeah. uh, it's always uh, I love. The, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I love if the venue if people can stand. Um, and the, uh, it, it's, uh, then it always seems like a little—it's a little wilder, a little looser. Um, it, the Grove is really good because they're standing up in front of the stage, and then there's a slight rake where there's seats and tables, yeah. so, the, so not everybody has to be on their feet for two hours or however long we play. Um, you, people have the option to sit down and enjoy Dwight. Uh, so that is—it it, is—you know—I joke that I well, I not it wasn't a joke. I, re, I really did go to the wrong place. <laughs>
0: And it still well, is funny, it's, it's joke crazy. or not.
1: Um, uh, but, but we love playing it. So thank you so much uh, for coming out. Yeah, It's, yeah. It was, it's always great to see you in person. We don't, Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen, I guess we only see each other in person when we, when we record these shows. Yeah. But, uh, and then, of course, I'm gone so much. You know, um, we're still just busy. We, we wrapped up the, the LSD tour in August.
0: Yeah, and that's where um, we actually saw you last, or I saw you last as well at the San Diego show. That's right, you
1: came to San Diego. Yeah. Um, you know, I miss everybody. I miss everybody. I miss Lucinda's band. I miss Steve's yeah. band. It was uh, the, the crew. Um, it's just a testament to what a, a wonderful time we had. So, if anybody went out and caught any of those shows out there, we, we really, 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 really appreciate you guys coming out. And if you came out and you enjoyed those shows and if you had fun, believe me, we, we had just as much fun, if not more. And then, you know, we got to, when we uh, got back, um, we, in LA, we recorded one of Dwight's uh, Sirius XM shows, the Greater Bakersfield shows, with uh, Lucas Nelson. Oh, man. Who, uh, who we had, uh, well, he filled it. Uh, there was one show on the LSD tour uh, uh, to which uh, Lucinda could not make because she uh, was already uh, scheduled to perform at the Newport Jazz Festival. So Lucas filled in for her. That way we, we, we maintained the L. Uh, it was still a proper LSD show we <laughs> Just switch the Ls. That worked out um, really well. Yeah, it, really it. and uh, of course he's a he's a great guy um and uh we know several people in common uh a big fan of that last album put out and we spoke about it on an early episode of our show mm-hmm. um obviously wonderful guitar player and and just a, a really fun person to hang out with and dwight really we really really enjoyed we, we played a a bunch of a few of his dad's tunes um, oh, wow. you know just we just got acoustic guitars and a very funny story and and i don't I don't think I'm telling this out of, out of turn. I'm, I'm sure he's told this publicly, but when I, we got to the, to the studio, he, uh, he has acoustic guitar out It's a Gibson J 200. Um, and, and that's what I play when we take those shows. Um, and so they're practically identical except his has, his, his has an, an autograph on it. Oh, R- Willie Nelson. Uh-huh. And, and I said, can I look, I listen, Is that, it? he says, yes, yes. My dad signed it. Oh, and I get, i must have had a look on my face, like, "Isn't that weird?" So, because he read he saw the look, and he—he's like, "I know he told the story before." He's like, "Yeah, I know." Well, here's what happened. <laughs> he says, I, was, "I left it on a guitar stand outside of his bus, Uh-oh. and Willie really just saw it and assumed Oh was probably something for auction or something. fan." So he just signed it. and then Lucas, Dad, did you write your name on my guitar? He goes, "But now, so there it is. That's a perfect." Uh, Nelson family story in my
0: opinion but. you know a related story that I've got is uh, and I'll uh-huh. keep it super brief but uh, the one concert that my dad and I went to together this was in the 90s Willie Nelson at um, oh what's the venue at, uh, at, at UCI um, UCI yeah there's a, a concert hall I, I forget the name of it now but in any case we, we'd gone there for the show and we had a great time
2: In concert, he said. He goes to a lot of, uh, and, uh,
0: and we came home. And I know he had to get up super early, like four in the morning, to do his, his work. And so it was kind of rough for him to go out at night and do anything. So we made this exception to do this together and came home. And instead of just going straight to bed, we just poured, poured ourselves a couple glasses of milk, sat down at the kitchen table, and just uh, shot the breeze for a while. No kidding. And he took out his, uh, his, his ticket from his shirt pocket, put it down on the, on the uh, kitchen table, got out a pen and signed it for me and gave it to me and he's all oh, i want you to remember tonight so i wow. have i have an autographed uh willie nelson ticket but autographed by my dad <laughs> that's a great story yeah it's uh it's a god, great memory were,
1: oh my god that's a fantastic story you, you know what that reminds me of um there's a beautiful remember the movie throw mama from the train oh yeah yeah the coins the coins <laughs> yes oh my god that scene kills me yep. It just kills me. What, what a wonderful! I, I'm glad you have that memory. And everybody now, you have to go get mom, throw mom from the train like right. on your streaming service, and find the 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 coin scene. Yeah, because uh, because that that scene comes out of nowhere. Yep. that's what's so great about it's it. It's powerful. Uh, well, what a wonderful story. Yeah, I, I got, I got, thank I got you. nothing that to tops that. Honestly, <laughs> as if the goal is to one up your wonderful story. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say.
0: <laughs> oh man. But uh so what else? Uh, oh so I've been doing some interviews recently for Discussions magazine.
1: Please explain what explain what Discussions magazine is.
0: Well Discussions magazine is it's not something you're going to find on the newsstand but it is a it is a print magazine but it's the company I work for we are sort of a wholesale distributor. We're sort of the middleman to the music and video and accessories industry. So right. we buy from the 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 folks that make turntables and All kinds of little electric gadgets to where uh, we also sell Blu-ray and DVDs. We sell vinyl. We sell CDs. Pretty much anything entertainment related, that's what we do. And we supply the mom-and-pop stores. We supply the chains, You know, Amazon, so forth. So we're kind of the middle guy for that. And part of what I do at work is I I work on a – we have a couple publications we put out that go to our retail accounts that they order from. Uh, and so it's in magazine form and there's, you know, large line listings of everything, everything that comes out every week. But then there's also display advertising. And on occasion, there are interviews uh, with so- artists that run in these as well. Uh And uh, on occasion, I get to uh, throw my hat in the ring and interview some names. And uh it's always a treat to be able to do that and kind of get a, a little inside track on something before it comes out.
1: This is how this is a huge part of why we're able to do the show or at least the portion when we talk about new music coming up, uh, you, you have a bit of an inside track on what's coming up and yes, you know, release dates and things like that, which uh, so that's just sort of, I'm just trying to fill in the, the blanks so. there.
0: yeah, it's, it's, I'm always uh, you know, swarmed with information on uh, new releases coming out and, and news in the industry. So it's, it's really nice to be able to be in this position to kind of have my finger on the pulse of, of the mm-hmm. information and uh, and certainly when I get approached by some labels, uh, you know, in advance, like, hey, would you be interested in interviewing John Hyatt or Tom Morello? I, yeah, I'd I'd snap at the chance on that. And it actually gives me an opportunity a month or two before the record comes out to actually have a chance to dive into it as well. So yeah. um, very recently, um, if you guys want to check this out, you could go to discussionsmagazine.com and uh, you could search through and find recent interviews I've done with Alejandro Escovedo for his new album, The Crossing, on Yep Rock, Uh, Richard Thompson's new record, 13 Rivers, on New West Records. I've got an interview with uh, Gearbox Records founder Daryl Scheinman, uh, and we talk about the label and uh, also their new latest uh, archive release by Thelonious Monk uh, uh, called Monk, a live recording from, I believe, 63 that's never been heard before.
1: Oh, re- oh see, now I'm excited.
0: Yeah, that is really. good. Cool. I had
1: a I had a, a Siamese cat when I was in high school. It's, it's, its name was Thelonious. That's my <laughs> that's favorite great. jazz composer of all time. Is that Thelonious is great. Song.
0: Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny too, cause, uh, Daryl, he was a, a, a drummer, w- uh, in a punk band when he was uh, a teenager and, and huge and on dead Kennedys and bands like that. And now mm-hmm. he's founded this, um, jazz archive label, you know? <laughs> so we talk about that too, in the interview. Uh, and then also, as I mentioned, John Hyatt's got a new record called the eclipse sessions on new West records and, uh, rage against the machine founder and, uh, occasional E street band member, Tom Morello has a new record called the Atlas underground on mom and pop music. So we, we talk about all those records. So head over to discussionsmagazine.com If you want to check those out, we'll put links up on the page, but that's been keeping me pretty busy lately when I'm not going to see you play. (laughs) Hey, now back on the LSD (laughs) thing real quick. You, you had mentioned to me in a text that, uh, was it Lucinda's, uh, husband that was a big Springsteen fan that you
1: discovered? Yes. Uh, yeah. Her husband slash manager, as a car alarm goes off. I hear that. And who, so do the who listen. still has who still has car alarms?
0: I do, but I bought my truck in oh five, so
1: <laughs> Okay.
0: It still has the A track. Uh
1: so um he's well, he's just a uh he's a cl- he's a classic jukebox graduate is what he is. Um so and he's been into music since as long as he can remember. Uh he's uh always been uh, I think you know as a kid he worked at a record store and he grew up in, in Minneapolis. I shouldn't tell too much of a story. We should have him on actually. He'd be a, he'd be a fantastic guest. Okay, to, we uh, could we could do him. the
0: phone thing with him maybe. So, Unless he's local.
1: Yeah, he's local. So oh, okay. so oh that'd be yeah, he cuz he just is wonderful being I mean, in Minneapolis. I mean he was there for the entire thing of of of, of the arc of the replacements. Right. Um that was just the local rock band um and, uh, of course I was always picking brain, his brain for, for stories about that, but yes, a big Springsteen guy. Um, he remembers seeing Springsteen in the seventies and dra- and uh, dragging friends to see him. And he remembers the, uh, the show, the darkness on the edge of town, uh, tour, uh, show, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's him. I did, I did mention that to you private.
0: Let's now. get him on.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd love to. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and as I mentioned before, and then he, he's just worked in the business for, for, for quite a while and in some way, you know, and, and it's, I love it's people, some people just like, they love music so much and maybe they try to pick up an instrument. It didn't quite work out, but they wanted to be still in it somehow. Yeah. And, um, we have to give praise to these people. Uh, there was, I, years ago. Uh, I befriended a guy named Hale Milgram, and he for years was president of Capitol Records, and he's since retired. And he saw me perform, and and he was really really generous to me, and and uh, I, he invited me up to his his place in Santa Barbara just to hang out. And so I went up, and we had a great time. He told great stories, and you know, so I asked him, I said, well, How does, you know, how do you, how do you become the president of a, of a record label, you know? And, uh, and he said, well, honestly, he was originally from the Bay area and he said, you know, I just worked at one of the first tower records that was up there Fair. as a, and then, cause I just want, I just loved music so much. And then. Right. And then I, I ended up, you know, managing a store and then things just build from there. You just, you build relationships with the distributors and the labels and the marketing people and before, and that's just, that becomes your world. He says, but here's, he said something that was fantastic was, when I worked in a record store, I was, I, he, he said, I was so excited to get there every day because all I wanted to do was, was turn people onto Some music they had they had not heard yet. Yeah. I was excited to say, you know, oh, you're buying these two things. You know, you gotta try this. Listen to this. If you like these things, you're gonna really love this. Or he says, I just wanted to get new music, stuff I was excited about, or or stuff that I thought they would like. I wanted to get it in their hands. I wanted to be the first person to turn them on to something. Mm -hmm. And he says that basic job was no different than when I was president of Capitol Records, right? It was the same, you know, so he's, so so, you have to fly over and you've you've talked about the first time you heard the sugar cubes and he (laughs) he flew over to Iceland to meet them. (laughs) Just kind of this, but, but he just said, I, you know, I I don't know how this is going to work, but, but I've got to get this. I think, you know, like, I think people want to hear this. He talked the same thing about Radiohead. About you know, just sort of going over and meeting them and realizing that wow, these guys are these guys have a different goal than most bands, and he just thought it was really really exciting. And he mm-hmm. just couldn't wait to help you know more people get access to this music. And and I I love that that the way he put that that the the basic function was 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 the same. Um, you know uh, anyway, so uh, that's what that's what thomas uh like to me you know his excitement is, yeah. uh, is, is it hasn't waned at
0: all yeah and you know where i work i, I deal with the label reps uh, quite frequently you know and just about you know the large majority of everybody i work with and all the reps that i've met over the years that worked for labels they mm-hmm. all i mean a large large majority of them can talk about how tower records is on their resume you know they started out at a warehouse or a virgin megastore or quite most of them yeah. were tower records, um, uh, you know, associates to begin with and then worked their way up. And that's just the passion starts there. I mean, well, it starts mm-hmm. before there when you get the music bug, but then when you get that job at a record store, like when I worked at a record store briefly, you know, when I was 16, 17, yeah, I couldn't wait to go to work. And I, I was getting turned on to stuff in the shop on a daily basis You know, I I may have told you this one before, how I got turned on Elvis Costello. I was aware of who he was, um, you know, from a video or two on television. But um, when I started working at uh, the tape and record room in downtown Long Beach back in 80, 85, 86, around 86 or so, um, I, I was back behind the counter washing records. I was they'd get stacks of vinyl coming in. I'd take them out of the sleeves spray them down with the fluid, you know, wipe them down, you know, and then get them ready for pricing. So I'm doing that all day long. And uh, and then, Hey Dave, what do you want to listen to? And I suggest, you know, the river or something, you know, (laughs) Springsteen. It's all, Dave, the sun doesn't rise and set on Springsteen alone. Try something (laughs) new. And he suggested, uh, here, put this one on and take this home with you at the end of the day too. And it's he hands me, my aim is true by Elvis Costello. When we put it on, and I'd never listened to the whole record before. I'd maybe heard Allison on the radio or something. But uh hearing the whole record in its context, and I'm looking at that cover with the checkerboard design, and inside each of the squares, you it, all there's a letter, and you read it across, Elvis is king, Elvis is king, Elvis is king. Mm-hmm. And it's got the hype sticker on there, Rolling Stone calling it, uh might have been their album of the year, or one of their albums of the year. And I thought, well, there's all that. That's kind of cool. He does kind of look like buddy Holly on acid and and he's on Columbia, and I can trust that label because Springsteen comes from that label even. You know? <laughs> so uh, that's you know that's something I got turned on to in a record store just while working there, not not even being a customer coming in not knowing what I want. but um, that's the experience when you go into a place and unfortunately, you know th- that went away for such a long time that there wasn't a place you could go to to get turned on to stuff by music geeks. There's stores are coming back and that's good. And I think that exists again, but man, it was happening all over the place. There were mom and pop shops, there were the chains and there, there were music fans in all of them working all of those. And yeah. That was just, that was an experience that, uh, that I always looked forward to when shopping too. So yeah, the music bug. Okay. So we're going on and on. And one one more little record store and then we'll lead into our next segment with that. But I was uh, recently shopping at one of my favorite orange County shops, I'm not going to give the name because I don't want to uh, embarrass the the person in this story, but um, I, I go in and I'm I'm searching through the 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 used cheap 45s. because I'm getting some gifts for my uh, grandkids for Christmas time, and so I'm I'm going through all the 45s. I'm spending about an hour hour and a half going through all this stuff, and I'm hearing the conversations of the employees in the store, and one of the owners of the shop uh, says something to one of the employees that had just walked in for his shift said, hey, yeah, you you know that guy, that that Mexican guy that's always in here in the mornings when we open, he always comes in and he's always looking at, the, you know, through the Beatles sections and he's always buying records. Yeah, well, he came in and uh, essentially his girlfriend, his fiance said, it's me or the records. <laughs> and I perked up, I stopped looking at all the records I was looking through and I'm like, this is... It, what, what happened what ne- and he points over to these boxes <laughs> oh no and it's like all the all the oh, solo boy. McCart like even like all the recent <laughs> stuff like yeah he he forked over i think he kept only the beatles records but apparently everything else he brought into the shop and and turned it in and and uh, walked away a happy man i presume
1: oh well <laughs> <laughs> oh I, well yeah i have so much to say about that but i don't think i will <laughs> well i you know i i don't i'm not going to comment on whether he made the right decision or not uh in general uh, i don't know enough about the situation but um but yeah he held on to the beatles yeah Boy, it's tough to you know it, it's it's got it's pretty hard to argue with um that you know there. They're doing, I guess, so now there's a reissue of the White Album yes. with a remix. So instead of going on my high horse about remixing the Beatles, you could just listen to the Sgt. Pepper episode we did uh, a while back when they did it with that. Um, but if anything, uh, hopefully the the timing of this release is uh, you know, somewhat, uh, it, well, it's it just rather fateful. It coincides with the, the departure of Jeff Emmerich. Yeah who was an, an engineer at EMI, uh, the, the studios there, otherwise known as Abbey Road Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, for the most part, got pulled into the Beatle orbit uh, right during the Revolver session. And it's no coincidence that as you listen to the Beatle albums chronologically, Rubber Soul's great, and... Um, and then the next album is Revolver, and it's recorded pretty quickly after Rubber Soul. There's not a big time lag there, but the 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 real significant thing I think is Jeff Emmerich shows up, and all of a sudden things get wacky. It sounds sound a little wise. different. Yeah, it, it sounds a little different. Um, and I think he was he was very young, probably what what the British would have called cheeky. Um, <laughs> but also, I think there was a there's a young energy that. You know, look, if not for, for, for men aged between the ages of eighteen and twenty four, we probably wouldn't have ninety eight percent of the laws that we have. So, <laughs> so they can wreak havoc, but um, there is something about youthful energy and, and uh, hubris um, that can pay off. And especially as we're, for fans of art and specifically music, we have to we have to um, bow down to some of that hubris. And And, and Jeff Emmerich, uh, as uh, Beatle fanatics know, was a guy who wasn't afraid to just sort of—I mean—he would just get spare parts and kind of caught, he didn't invent a device to deliver a sound mm-hmm. that the Beatles were requesting at that point. Uh, famously, you know, John wanted his vocal of on Tomorrow Never Knows to I I, had a whatever the loopy uh, phrase was. Beatle fanatics are going nuts because I can't remember it. But he wanted to he wanted to sound like he was, you know, uh, a Tibetan monk singing from the top of the Himalayas and. John says, "Well, you can stream up by my feet and twirl me around, and my and my body will circle around the <laughs> microphone, and we can get a swirling sound." And Jeff Emmerich goes, "I think maybe we can get a we can get that same effect without having to stream There's up." <laughs> There's an easier way. There's an easier way. Just developed a lot of things that uh, not only did uh, became very common techniques in in, in, in recording, but uh, they are now all if you if anybody has even just something as simple as GarageBand on your on your iPad or, or mm. whatever, or any basic little computer recording system, there's just little buttons that we tap on that automatically give us these things that were uh, developed in, uh, and perfected in a, in a, you know, in a hardware sense uh, way back in the, in the 60s. Uh, and Jeff Emmerich's at the forefront of that. And then after the Beatles, uh, he went on to, to be uh, an important part of many, many really successful records.
0: Well, he stuck with McCartney for, uh, for a few albums. Obviously, he was involved with uh, Band on the Run with Wings. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of my favorites, Tug of War and uh, Flaming Pie. He was involved yeah. with those as well. Um, other bands that he, he, he's he got his, his thumbprint on that are important to me, uh, a certain period of, of albums by America, um, Badfinger, uh, and big stars Chris mm-hmm. Bell, who didn't have a very illustrious solo catalog, but he did have...
1: The, the body songs. of
0: work that's there is, is, is incredible. And it's, it's equal parts, Jeff Emmerich, equal parts, Chris Bell.
1: <laughs> one And one of my desert Island albums is the zombies Odyssey and Oracle. That's right. That's which, right. Which, which um, uh, very, very late sixties psychedelic. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a time capsule sort of thing, but, um, it's just it's a very, very emotionally moving mm-hmm. body of work uh, of a band that essentially at that point knew that they weren't really going to exist anymore. Uh, and, uh, and and my point is, if you can listen to take a listen to the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle album, and you'll hear things that sound very familiar to your ear from Beatles records. Um, and it's not that the zombies were Beatle copycats in any way. It's just that Jeff Emmerich and his know-how um, was, and the sound of that studio, of course, um, is is indelible. Uh, and and, uh, and then I know a big one for me uh, was uh, Imperial Bedroom. Oh yes, uh, the yeah. 1982 I'll album Elvis that that Costello, mm-hmm. uh, which of course perfectly happy with all the stuff that Nick Lowe had produced up to that yeah. point. Um, Nick Lowe had did a great job of trying to keep up with costello as a songwriter who wanted to move from genre to genre and then also keeping up with a band who could easily keep up with costello as a writer mm-hmm. uh, as a producer to try and and corral that energy and 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 each of those first five albums they do each one sounds different from the next which is considering the duo in a, you know year one year after another yeah. that's pretty impressive very very impressive um, and then at some point Costello decides I'd like to work with a different producer just to kind of get out of a rut goes with Jeff Emmerich and um, just, uh, you know, just you hear Costello and that band in a very, very different way. Yeah. Um, but uh, I know for you, um, I think the um, the song almost blues is one of your favorites off that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's another suggested listening. It would mm-hmm. be anything from uh, Elvis Costello's, Imperial bedroom record, I guess I, oh, I guess, I guess I'm just going to say, no, no, um, the loved ones. Yeah. I'm going to suggest that that way it goes on the playlist. Okay. Uh, Opening cut of of, uh, side two
0: there's just there's so much Beatlesque stuff going on on that record uh, mm-hmm. what's the one song is it and in every home is that on that record
1: yeah because yeah you've got the orchestration the whole thing's essentially you, done without a rock band it's done with orchestration
0: you hear a lot of that Pepper type stuff in there
1: that's very Sergeant Pepper because of the brass
0: yes and not necessarily you know nobody came in and you know Elvis didn't come in and say okay I want you to chop up this tape into pieces throw it on the floor and splice it together like um, like you did with being for the benefit of Mr. Kite
2: mm-hmm. which uh,
0: that was that was another interesting thing that uh that jeff was involved with too hey you know, as far as the imperial bedroom i don't if you recall this from elvis's uh autobiography um I, I believe there was a story in there where they were taking a break from the studio uh and they, there was a video game set up in one of the rooms and they were playing and i guess paul mccartney walks in because i think they were working on i want to say it was maybe tug of war was being worked on at the same time
1: I, yes just up the hallway the- it was because George Martin was also there producing and yeah. that would have been tug of war. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the story there is that, uh, we'll see naive Costello's piano player, uh, who, who was a properly trained musician. Um, first time he ever played rock and roll was really when he auditioned for the attractions, it turns out. So they entrusted naive with, with, uh, coming up with the arrangements for the brass and for, and the string arrangement, uh, for the last song on the album called town crier, beautiful song. And, they sent the the uh, the sheet music that Naive had written before they were going to record it. it. It was always a good idea to have somebody else take a look at it. You could, you could be, there could be errant notes or something's written incorrectly that would cause confusion for the musicians that have to read it. Yeah. So you always get a second set of eyes to to look it over and see if, oh, maybe you might want to write this a different way or, mm-hmm. you know, just to make it a little clearer for the musicians that have to sight read it. Well, so they, they sent it over to George Martin to, to proofread those pieces, which, you, you know, can't do better than that. Um, uh, no one knows, uh, knows whether George Martin noticed that there's a little quote in the, the string part uh, in Town Crier uh, at the end of the bridge, Costello always seems the, the phrase, and tragically hip. And then the, uh, the orchestra does this soft little ba-ba-ba-ba, and which is a reference to uh, the chorus of All You Need Is Love, ba, ba, da, ba, da, that little chromatic fall. <laughs> uh, no one knows whether Mark that or not, but that, there was, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of little beatles notes and translations going back and forth, I yeah. think, at that time.
0: Yeah, he uh, just some some great music but he had just, his hands in. Yeah,
1: um, you know, he, he had his hands on uh, uh, for some of the tracks uh, for that first Steelers Wheels album.
0: That's right, Stuck in the Middle. Was,
1: yeah, very, uh, very cool.
0: Also Manfred Mann's uh, Pretty Flamingo.
1: Oh my! Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, really. Um, for me, I, he was involved with the Split Ends, which uh, was like you, know, you know Super Tramp and Cheap Trick. Oh, and some of those Jeff Beck albums in the seventies. You know, and all of a
0: sudden um, our playlist just exploded.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. No, the the guy was was, was really 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 uh, very talented. Um, so yeah, that's that's the so that's what I have to say about Jeff Emmerich.
0: All right, well, Jeff Emmerich, thank you. For everything. That was live with Remember When from Bueno Bay, a tribute to Stephen Desmond. I threw the idea out of uh, having a listener-suggested topic, and and Gene, you bit at this, so I thought, well, let's do it. <laughs> but then, you know, once we get Gavin, suddenly half the day's gone, and we're, yeah. we're running out of time here, unfortunately. So the topic we're going to definitely throw into the next episode, concept albums. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about them? Which are the standouts for you? How does the meaning of a concept album change in a time where people can and do purchase individual tracks? Does that just reinforce an echo chamber of songs we like versus an entire arc that challenges the listener? Well, all this and more will be answered in episode 11 of the Jukebox Graduate. But in the meantime, and I want to thank our listeners for contributing some ideas. It's a great idea, yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime... You suggested this one, and we we almost went into this last year, but we uh, we didn't. But this is a great time to do it. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Twenty nineteen inductees have been, uh, uh, or the nominees have been. The nominees announced. have been announced. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's like five or six get in. I've, I've looked online, and I've found years where six got in, but it's generally five, <laughs> so I don't know. I think,
1: yeah. yeah. I think it's five, and then the, and then the sixth is usually like a, a producer or a record executive.
0: Or, or it's a tiebreaker uh, or something. To, or hopefully not. Or maybe a tiebreaker.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right, because the fans can kind of... That's right. There now. is
0: a, well, a percentage that is a fan vote, I guess.
1: Well, I remember before we, we, we decided to do this podcast at all, I remember being in a hotel somewhere and being on the phone with you, and we were talking about this yep. subject, whether someone should be in the Roll Hall of Fame or not. And uh, I have my own personal criteria that I use, like, you know, in my brain. But as far as I know, officially, obviously artists become eligible after uh, 25 years of the, the release of their first record. right? And then the criteria includes um, the influence and significance of the artist's contributions to the development and perpetuation of rock and roll that's how the hall of fame states it. In, and I, I just looked that up recently cause I never really had looked up oh, like what, right, like, right. what, what, what are the rules to this thing? In my head, I always thought to myself, if I can't imagine rock music, and when I say rock music, that's a pretty big tent anyway, but if I can't imagine it without without you, without your existence, then I think you should be in. Mm-hmm. So now, my criteria then excludes a lot of factors, which would be important to people. One of them would be sales.
0: Yeah. That's the, a big complaint that I, I see is uh, people feel that the decisions are are leaning a lot towards
1: that. Well, they, okay. Let's be fair. The, the, this rock and roll hall of fame thing is a business. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a government entity. It's, it's, not, <laughs> they got to pay tax on that building. I'm sure. So, and they ha- they do have a, a museum in Cleveland that they want people to come and visit. Um, so, on one hand, if you had a museum filled with artists that no one had ever heard of, no one's going to really work their vacation plans around that. One. Right. Right. So you're going to want to put some names that everyone knows in it. Now, of course, art and commerce can come together, in, like in, in the case of the Beatles or Ray Charles, or I mean, where it's like they're both deserving. Artistically for the influence and because of the the sales sure. you know the um but but the cliche being it's usually attributed to Brian Eno talking about that the velvet underground first album that not everybody bought it, but the few that did went off and started bands right um I, to me, the velvet underground and i don't I'm, I'm assuming they were uh first ballot uh inductees just because of how they changed they influenced again. No, not a lot of people went out to the stores and bought that album. But really, it was all musicians and and producers did, and it and it helps pivot rock into a darker place, and definitely informs what would become punk and all that. Okay, Mm so, um, so I I still just use that. I don't care. I guess you know, uh, and this not to disparage anyone because I'm just talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is people talk about let's say take a band like Journey. And certainly, it's a very successful band. Right. It's a beloved band. Sold tons of records. Um, they still get tons of uh, uh, airplay today, and they and they still do shows. And everyone's excited about Steve Perry doing a record for the first time in right. a long time. Uh, but I don't know that music changed because of that. No. So, and so that would be that seems like it seems like a real harsh thing. But at some point, you've got to have, you know, some way of of. Um, discriminating if you will so well, there's what like there's like 19 how many there, how many nominees are oh, there right
0: that's now? a good question uh, i think 15 so do you oh, want to okay. do you want to we'll rattle them off and maybe spend 30 to 60 seconds on on each one as far as well, yeah, just quick yeah, opinions I
1: think, quick opinions uh if that's ever possible in my case
0: um <laughs> just floating it out there that's all
1: i <laughs> know no, i appreciate that but i'm just telling you we we now know my criteria I, i've announced it to the world. Or to the 25 people that listen to us and you, um, so you know, people, hold 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 my feet to the fire. Let's see if I define myself on this. Okay, go ahead.
0: Def Leppard.
1: Okay, Def Leppard, great guys, incredible work ethic. The story is wonderful. Some really, really incredible guys. I mean, yeah. working class dudes, and uh, yeah, just. Uh, you know, obviously a very successful band, but but no, they didn't. Uh, the perpetuity, or they didn't have a grand influence, in my opinion. So no, but
0: yeah, Def Leppard. I yeah, I, yeah, I, I love I love the songs. I love the uh, the show, um, but changing anything, no. Yeah, Devo.
1: not yet not yet i say not yet i'm close i'm close considering we can only get five in i'm pretty sure they lose out okay they're as, as they say they're in the discussion but not quite yet
0: i'm i'm gonna say yes on devo um okay mainly for their their idea of reinvention i mean you look at what they did with Songs like uh, "If I Had a Hammer," Satisf- "Satisfaction," you know, and sure. how they drastically change them. That idea alone uh, is something that I'm sure has inspired tons of musicians. Like, how can we make something like completely change it, um, mm-hmm. but it'll still be familiar to somebody when we play it, and they're like,
1: "Hey, I, I love that song," and listen to the way they're doing it. Oh, that, I could go on forever yeah. about how how what the, the, okay So they they help introduce um, performance art in rock and roll yes uh, uh what it is to deconstruct something uh but keep it within a genre uh certainly we can talk about um punk we can talk about the recording technology there's a lot there's a lot going on there i'm just saying not yet
0: okay not yet janet jackson
1: Those, a couple of records, in the, in the, in the, those are so good, and I don't know that she. Again, I say I, I would say no, but only because I don't want her in at the expense of other. Yeah, there's female that. R&B artists. There's that too. Yeah, I, I need I need room for Lauren Hill, not just for the Fuji stuff, but for that first solo record. That to me is like that's, and I just I kind of want to hold if she's not already in. Yeah. She should be. If Lauren Hill's not already in, then Janet Jackson's not in. Yeah,
0: she was great as Penny on Good Times, but um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on uh, inducting her this time around. Uh-huh. Uh okay. John Prine. John Prine.
1: God, I love John Prine.
0: I really love John Prine, and. I mean, it's my, I'm, I, I want him in, I'm going to say yes, but it's, I don't think he shaped rock and roll, but I think it's the, the songcraft, that was something, it was a certain type of, you know, like it's, it's Dylan Springsteen style writing, you know, about people and human situations. And that was something you weren't, you weren't getting so much with. Def Leppard songs or you know I mean There's something uh, to me that's really Important is to keep telling the People songs and And he was forging that at a time Where he was kind of borderline Rock mm-hmm. um, You know all those 70s records definitely Were, were, were there But um, I mean I don't know if He changed rock and roll But yeah it's always interesting when there's like not necessarily A, a, a true rock and roll Icon that's getting in the rock hall of fame You know what I mean like Johnny uh, Cash is in, right? So I assume, yeah, yeah. So, but Johnny Cash is ideally country, but
1: I don't, yeah, you, know, you know, you could tie him to the rockabilly thing and also what,
0: what were the Rick Rubin records
1: he, covering rock songs? Yeah, I, I think it's really a more an idea of the Sun Records era stuff first, and that, that rock and roll will, will always have had a country influence, and then also he's very important in that, you know, by the mid to late sixties, he's now a kind of this proper Nashville fixture. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very instrumental in embracing Bob Dylan, Uh, Dylan coming to record his incredible uh, sixties run of albums in Nashville with those guys um, that, that he would appear on Dylan's album uh, on a, a national skyline, uh that, that he would it, you know, reach across the aisle to almost you know, in you know, in the politics of the time, um was was really uh I think that you know that's where Johnny Cash and, and he's is somewhat of a mirror uh that that rock music can use at any at any point to kind of see its country self okay um so but uh, i but i say no i say i say i'm sorry but no not john prine that's okay all right plenty plenty of other museums but um but no
0: okay craft work absolutely Okay. Absolutely. I I really I have very little knowledge of Kraftwerk. I mean, I I'm, I'm aware of them, but I I don't think I could even name a song. Sadly, so don't chastise me too much. But please That's explain right. why you would push them through.
1: It, it's it's so obvious that in fact it's kind of funny because it's it's one of those that they were so innovative that you go back and listen to, to any of their first three records, and it doesn't sound special at all, because. That's just how massively influential they were, um, in in pop, new wave, disco, uh, <clears throat> parts of punk, um, and then uh, the and, and, and certainly hip hop. And I think hip hop. This will pro- This is probably a, a, another debate for another show, but. Rock and hip hop are so thematically tied together in, mm. in my brain, yeah. and uh, hip hop uh, influences our culture and has been for easily the past twenty five years in the way that rock and roll used to. It would behoove the rock and roll Hall of Fame to embrace hip hop for sure. Uh, if uh, if they're going to want to still be open for business uh, thirty years from now, mm. they're going to have to they're going to have to be able to. To take that in, um, so uh, which is going to be ironic when I say no to LL Cool J later. Yeah, I was just but
0: yeah, I was going to say he's next work, on the list.
1: <laughs> but Kraftwerk uh, is is just this. It's it's a bigger influence than than most people think. Um, the records are weird. They're cold. They're very mechanical. Um, they kind of got to this thing a little bit before Devo. I think this concept is kind of like, are these robots making this music and but. Um, <laughs> but the records just sound so good and they're so weird and linear and, 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 and austere and creepy at times. Um, and they use, uh, re- they use repetition in a way that ends up becoming very hypnotic and, and trance-like. So now we're talking about now ED, like influencing EDM. The influence they had on Bowie and Iggy Pop uh, in the 70s was very, very direct. And so you don't get craft work. I don't know that we get... The low heroes, uh, larger scary monsters, that era of Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I just think they're I, this is just an absolute uh, yes with craft work.
0: So, th- those are the first five, we got 10 more. LL Cool J
1: when i'm alone in my room sometimes i stare at the wall and in the back of my mind i hear my conscience call telling me i need a girl who's as sweet as a dove for the first time in my life i see i need love there i was giggling about the games that i had played with many hearts and i'm not saying no names then the thought occurred i put him in the, the knot. yet yeah yeah
0: yeah i'm with you there uh at some point but with this list no and 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 As far as influence goes, I don't know if you've ever heard Luca Bloom's version of I Need Love. So good (laughs) because he's like
1: the uh, I believe he's he's Scottish. (laughs) Here's why: I think he gets in eventually, just not this year. Again, I I reserve the right Um, LL comes along and really helps refine the idea of of rap or hip or hip hop record having a really strong, cohesive can't miss it chorus. Run DMC did a really had, did a great job of it, and, and that's why to me their first ballot. Um, LL got that he understood that part, and so this is where LL is very very important in terms of of hip hop translating. By the way, LL in the suburbs was massive. So this is also the thing where he's culturally significant. Um, this is one of the the very early guys who um, penetrates. Uh, other parts of America that weren't tied, weren't just closely that weren't related to hip-hop in any mm-hmm. yet um, and, and by the 90s it's just a foregone conclusion that it's not just <laughs> the inner city or people in urban neighborhoods listening to hip-hop, this thing is so much bigger, yeah. so he's not in yet Okay, how about
0: this one mm-hmm. MC5
1: I can't believe they're not, a uh, yes, I, of course they should be, yes, how are they not in already?
0: <laughs> you know, all those pre-punk ethics and, you know, having a, a record band in, in stores at the time for using the MF word, which, uh, which, by the way, I, I saw Wayne Kramer uh, do an in-store at Fingerprints in mm-hmm. Long Beach several years ago, and I brought my copy uh-huh. to get it, get signed, and he looked at it, and he's all, oh. This is the censored version, because he was able to tell by yeah. the, uh, the either the runout groove uh what you know the the matrix number that's etched in, and he's all, "Oh yeah, okay, and then he opens up the gatefold and uh-huh. signs it big in the in the center, and it says, "This album is censored, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> that's got to go on
1: the wall at some point, maybe I'll take it down that's at fantastic. Christmas time, but uh um uh ironically, my my father autographed one of my albums with that same thing, and I never understood why. <laughs> Uh, that Full band circle. was so, I, they, look, man. They were, they were, they were, they, they came and went very quickly. Um, they're definitely what we obviously we use the word proto punk describing them, but also they're uh, important in terms of a band that was their political yes. idealism. They were involved. <laughs> um, they well, they were to an extreme involved. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with their politics, but yeah. the fact that that you were not going to divorce their politics from them and their music. Uh, not that every artist that 's not a qualification, but i 'm just saying they made that oh it was like it, you know it's not just because we were matching suits we' are therefore a rock band those days are over at this point also the very very important in in developing the the live music culture of of rock and roll um and there's books about this uh, Man- uh, mansion on the hill is a great book about this um but uh the fact that their their concerts were also kind of political social rallies and and in a way they presage what like the these massive arena things which usually politics aren't always are not always going to be involved but the idea that a large group of people in the city or or from a surrounding area are going to come together in one place at one time um uh the rock concerts did become part three ring circus part political rally part dance party or whatever. Um, but the MC5 was really, really, really crucial in in helping to define what a rock show and what a rock audience would be and what the right. venues were going to have to be and how they're going to have to handle the volume. And also, they just kicked ass. Yeah. These guys, it was straight ahead hardcore rock, which we now call hardcore rock, but there was like this soul music thing about them. And, and when they were on stage, they played with mad death energy. Not one of those guys was was sitting still for a single moment, just captivating and absolutely and 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 uh, so yeah, absolutely. MC5, of course.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny you mention the uh, the soul aspect of it. I got turned on to a song by them uh, last year.
1: From, they had afros
0: from their uh, yeah, right. <laughs> That's half the battle. Yeah. No, their their nineteen seventy one album uh, High Time has got a track called Miss X, which is uh-huh. just gorgeous. I found that last year and fell in love with it. And oddly enough, I, I discovered MC5 way, way late, and I discovered them essentially through Jeff Buckley because he was uh, in his live shows doing um, a version of "Kick Out the Jams." And oh, I thought, well, what? This is kind of violent. <laughs> Who's the? What is this? Oh, yeah. and uh, oh, it's an MC5 song. Oh, I've heard of the MC5, but I radio doesn't play MC5 at all. No. So how, no. Would, I,
1: how would I have heard it growing up? Um, a, a great example of a band who did not sell hardly any records, yes. but 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 rock music is different if, if they don't exist.
0: How about Radiohead?
1: Oh, how about Radiohead? Abs- I, I, I say yes. I say yes. I, yes. Um, particularly the Per- influence and perpetuity of rock and roll. Um, they come along, obviously, in the early 90s with Creep. It's kind of associated with the grunge thing and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they respond with the Benz album and then OK Computer. And tr- man, I moved to L.A. in 1996. And when I would go out to the clubs and hear new rock bands, there was a lot of Radiohead clones out there. <laughs> like a lot of dudes playing spacey prog situations with very emotive singing and, and some of these bands were pretty good at it too, by the way, but, um, it it was sort of, they almost gave young rock bands some sort of bedrock, uh, to work with right away for, for, for a handful of years, you know, and I think, okay, computer, I think they possibly came out with just the overall best rock album of that decade. Um, so I, th- and, and and let's not forget, uh, in terms of influencing also the business, uh, or presaging right. the business of how music is distributed, sold, all those things. How, what do you think?
0: I agree. I, I think they should go in, uh, when, you know, creep came out, I thought, Oh, this is great. This is something that's, uh, you know, it's getting played a lot. It's, it's, uh, easily accessible. Uh, but then the way the band morphed after that, um, um, mm-hmm. Especially by the time they got to Amnesiac, which is my favorite record. Um
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when that came out and you're really Oh my you, you God. Got, You've all you were into it right away. Well,
0: I think part of it has to do with how I absorbed it the first time, which was a, a listening party in the LA area in a silent movie theater where yeah. they just projected slides uh on the screen while you listened inside a dark theater. And uh and that record just really got a hold of me. But, you know, they continue to be, and Tom continues to be extremely experimental.
1: Dig this, man. Uh, that When it was talking about the guy, Hal Milgram, uh, who was president of Capitol yeah, Records, yeah. he talked about going over to England to meet those guys, you know, possibly to sign them, which, which they did. They, I, if I'm not mistaken, like EMI in England already had them signed. So therefore, Capitol and the States got first tips. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion they were going to sign them. But he went to go hang out with them anyway. Hale comes back, they have a meeting uh, 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 at Capitol Records, and Hale just says, you know, we should go with these guys. I I think they're really great. But everybody needs to understand that these kids do not care about money. They are not driven by it. And there's a lot of bands that say that. I don't think these guys are kidding. And what's funny is almost 10 years later, the In Rainbows... That's the one. one, yeah. Where I thought, thought, oh, wow, these, (laughs) it really are, at least willing to experiment. And it was almost a, it it was, it was almost a a form of performance art itself. The idea was how much is music worth to you monetarily instead of the industry or a store telling you how much this record is worth monetarily. And therefore that's what you have to pay to get it. Do you make up the price? And we make that choice every day now. And they they just kind of gave us a sample of that, of our our current reality ahead of time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they should get in several Mm -hmm. ways, you know, like, and not just musically, but like you said, you know, with uh, self-distributing that record and, and offering it in that way. I mean, it reminds me of what Pearl Jam was doing to try to fight uh you know the ticket master yeah
1: debacle, yeah yeah right where now. they just ended up just standing alone yeah. nobody comes rallying yeah. no, no other artists no other band they took all nobody the heat. comes yeah. they took every bit of the heat yeah exactly so uh so yeah absolutely uh, yeah well who's
0: next uh rage against the machine
1: I say yes to Rage Against the Machine this time out. Yes. All right,
0: okay. Okay.
1: Yes, and mostly because I think Zach still lives in my neighborhood and he kind of scares me. Oh, yeah. Um, then I, should I change my <laughs> my five? <vibe? laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Um. First of all, I just musically I just happen to love those records, and I and I also remember again talking about being in LA in the in the nineties and. Seeing how Radiohead was, all bands were grunge until the bands in OK Computer, and then all bands became all the club bands became Radiohead, and Rage Against the Machine comes out, and it was certainly it's it's one of those things you hear it and you know it is spiritually rock and roll. Yeah, I mean it's rock and roll somehow, Um, but it's also it's also hip hop. It's also punk it's political idealism via the MC5. Mm-hmm. It's it's just this there's this otherness about it. And also as a guitar player, it was like I'm hearing stuff coming out of guitar that I had never heard before. So Morello just gets it has always been from the moment I ever heard that band, I just I just I didn't know you could make a guitar do that. Exactly. And if <laughs> you can if you can make me think that then uh, you know you got me. yeah. yeah. You know so um and also I think they – but, but more importantly in terms of the criteria that I normally apply, they, they gave a rock band a purpose for being again they, or they gave it a new blood. Mm-hmm. They gave it a new blood of how a rock band could look, behave, where they could perform, uh, what they were allowed to say. Uh, they, they made it okay for certain influences to be there. They did it on a very, very big level on a very, very big stage with tons of energy. And, um, I I think they, they helped, you know, uh, they helped lengthen the, um, validity of having a rock band, frankly, much less listening to one. Just, you know, why? At, at, at that point, when that first record came, it was like, you know, why would you start a rock band? And then raging Music it's a Machine just said, well, here's here's a, here's a few reasons. They, you know, anyway. So that I just think, yeah, um, yeah, I think absolutely.
0: I think they'll get in, but I'm I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't think this time. Oh, okay. But, uh, but okay. I think they're definitely destined to get in. Yeah. Um, how about uh, Roxy Music? Not just Brian Ferry, but Roxy Music.
1: Yes, absolutely. I could feel- Absolutely. Um, now, this is a part where we have to uh, answer to the fact that so much of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, talk about the per- uh, perpetuity of rock and roll, if not for England and British acts, uh, this Hall of Fame doesn't exist. Um, because of the British invasion, and it, it, it just gave rock and roll a whole new life. Mm-hmm. Um, Roxy music, it's easy to forget, especially being an American. Um, I, I didn't grow up immediately feeling or seeing their influence in any way but the more i read more biographies of bands and artists it this that name just comes up in everything so that part of the glam situation in the early 70s um england um but you know it was i was always surprised to see that like the guys like, even johnny rotten uh you know, roxy music was 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 okay uh, by those guys you know even Hmm. even the most it was was funny because as flashy as they were and as slick as they were they somehow (laughs) they still got they had credit they had credibility from everybody and and they could and and they they did it by not sounding i don't know who like like i listen to those records i have no idea who they're copying like i don't know i don't know where where their approach even comes from and and um uh I, i remember telling you you know when I first moved to town for, I was always taking these weird days for money and I would play a uh, session work as a guitar player for these straight to video uh, videos, like for playboy and stuff, you know, yeah, like these yeah. kind of weird. So it was always playing this instrumental music in the background. And at some point it was very obvious that we were mostly just remaking Avalon <laughs> over and over again, and just trying to stay out of a lawsuit. Um, so, but you know, there was rock, you're allowed to rock music should be danceable. So mm-hmm. with things like love is the drug and so many other, it was like, these could, these were like legitimate dance floor hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, fortunately uh, bands like talking heads, uh, uh, some other rock bands were, were able to embrace that notion as well. Um, because originally that's what music was to dance and, mm-hmm. and uh, to, to, to help free your body up. Yeah. And I, I think that I really appreciate that they helped kind of, Reintroduce that at a time when you know rock was it was a lot of long guitar solos and just sort of plodding along, and then they seemed to make music that really reached out and and tried to engage with, with the listener on a on a on a visceral level um, that wasn't just kind of trying to just clobber you by volume.
0: Yeah, they, they also tried reaching out uh, to engage you with their album covers.
1: Okay, well, yes, uh, also, <laughs> yeah, they, they there's definitely a it's a very sexy band.
0: Yeah, I, I say they're in, and 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 if you get a chance, just uh, on a on a related uh, note, uh, Brian Ferry actually, he has got a great solo career as well, he put out a record about three or four years back, where he did, I think it was just called the Brian Ferry Orchestra, and essentially what he did was he he recreated solo and Roxy music songs in the style of the great thirties and 40s uh, band leader orchestras, you know, like uh, okay. just instrumental versions. And so instead oh. of the vocal, you're hearing the melody played by a certain instrument over this like orchestra. Or and yeah, it, and it just sounds, and this is, you know, obvious. I'm a I'm a big collector of the old Shellac 10-inch records, the, the 78s. And, and mm-hmm. I, I love music history and I love digging back into the, the teens, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. And, and I love all that stuff. So when that record came out about uh, maybe four or five years ago, I guess, I, I love the effort that he made to uh, yeah to put out a, a, a essentially a genre of music that nobody's making that today. Uh, <laughs> you know, unless you're walking around Disneyland or something, and the closest thing is a Dixie <laughs> Dixieland band or something. But but it was you know that's just an, another creative uh, side of, of Brian. So uh, but his work in in Roxy music is uh, uh, to be noted, and I I say he gets in. That's my number five.
2: Good.
0: We got we got five more left. Rufus featuring Chaka Khan.
1: Uh no. Uh, no, yeah. no. I mean, it's not enough there. I, Shaka for sure as a solo artist, but not.
0: Yeah. It's not yeah, enough. and even so, not now. Not at this point. Uh, I yeah, even say. so, not
1: now. Yeah, we, There's plenty of other funk artists to get in there. All right. Stuff, uh, before we get we go that far.
0: Now we've had plenty of conversations offline uh, on Stevie Nicks, who is up as a solo artist. Um, and she's in the hall with Fleetwood Mac, and I think that's that is great. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, as a solo artist, you know, I I know she, she's hugely influential to, uh, or, or maybe not influential is the word, but like, uh, um, female musicians, um, maybe as Does,
1: a, do we know that? I uh,
0: well, uh, in the way that I see her regarded in in conversations with folks like lady gaga or madonna being that that iconic woman uh in front uh with some power and definitely some confidence that that's what i see out there but going back to what you said initially like what was the criteria to get in um being as you put it before a fashion icon or spinning around in circles that that's not that doesn't get you in What did she change?
1: Yeah, I just don't know. I've ever come across um, any female artists unsolicited mentioning Stevie Nicks as an influence. I believe that if someone walked up to Taylor Swift and said, you know, and, it, you know, was Stevie Nicks ever an influence on you? The, then the artist is kind of forced to say yes and why. <laughs> I just haven't seen anybody ever volunteer Stevie Nicks solo career, which is, I think, two albums as maybe three, an infu- maybe three as an influence. So I, as, as as a member of Fleetwood Mac, uh, yes. Um but, but no, not as a solo artist. That's, I don't okay. really see the, I, I don't see it.
0: All right. The Cure.
1: <sighs> not yet.
0: I agree. Not yet. Maybe Joy Division makes more sense before this happens, but.
1: That's yeah. As, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. How about The Zombies?
1: No, and of course, and I, I I love that, love that band, but they don't meet the criteria, mine or the Rock Hall's criteria.
0: Not yet. You know, like when this whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame started, it was easy to pick the obvious things. But mm-hmm. I think as we were how many years out now, um, you've obviously pushed in the, the ones that had to go for sure. Um, but then you're, now you're struggling and you weren't struggling so much in the early years. I mean, maybe you're struggling in that there were too many to choose from,
1: but yeah, now yeah, they're, yeah.
0: they're kind of struggling to find ones that, that reach the merits to, to make
1: it. But, in. By the way, uh, by the way, also just a, a word about the hall of fame in general, like, cause this is just silly that we're grown men even taking it seriously in any direction. Why do we have museums at all? Um, Because, you know, it would be a very rock and roll thing to say, I don't think there should be a rock and roll Hall of Fame museum. It's against the whole notion of rock and roll. Maybe. I'm sure there's many artists that would say the same thing about museums that collect art, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do it. Yeah, at some extreme, we have to imagine that somehow one day there'll be, what if there was just no way, there was no collective evidence that rock and roll ever happened. It'd be, it'd be somewhat of a shame. So, in this fantasy world, you would be able to go to this other fantasy world known as Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. and go to this building. And, you know, it's like if a, an alien just showed up and said, what is this thing rock and roll? You walk them into this building and you show them these artifacts and, you'd, and, and play them footage of these performers and play them this music. And, and you have to show it on a timeline. And so, again, who goes on that timeline? Not everybody who's ever made a record can fit. And and so uh, I just kind of want to reset the <laughs> the discussion a little bit about that there is a Hall of Fame at all and okay. why does it exist and who should be in it.
0: Well, we've got one last one, and then we'll wrap up this segment here. Okay, Todd Rundgren.
1: I you know what I think Okay, how many have I I I've thrown, okay, I've thrown Radiohead, Rage, Roxy MC five and Roxy. So I've hit my five. You've hit your five. So Rundgren You put him on the on deck circle? Yeah. I put him on the on deck circle. I almost want to put Rundgren in in Roxy music? I wanna put well (laughs) he well, unfortunately he did try and dress like that for his television (laughs) appearance and that probably ended ended his solo career by by dressing (laughs) it like Brian Eno. Um, (laughs) uh, Todd Rundgren is is a, that's a, that's a tricky one because his career, his overall career is, is, I mean, I love, you know, the, the NAS, I think, I think, I think they're on the Nuggets collection. So it's part of the garage rock thing in a weird way. And then he's a young, back to being the importance of an engineer. Uh, for Bearsville Records. He's involved, he's behind the boards on early, uh, some of the band, uh, one, of the, one or two of the band records, early Haul the Notes, um, the band Utopia, uh, then uh, the Something Anything solo album, which is fantastic, uh, uh, and, and then just the stuff that b- b- producing Badfinger, Grand Funk Railroad, Weird American Band. The New York Dolls, Meatloaf's Bad of Hell, yeah. XTC's Skylarking. These are really incredible records. And he's he's involved in all this stuff. Yeah. So the I part of me thinks he gets in as a producer, not a solo artist, or 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 do you put the guy in just because of this collective involvement he's had? Um, along you know a, for the most part of the portion of eh, about for about 25 years i'd say he he really had his fingers in the pie
0: yeah to me that's and more important than his solo work
1: so, uh, so know, his involvement
0: I, in other projects
1: but but because for the sake of the five i've already i've already chosen who i, I feel very strongly about uh Rundgren does not get it okay not yet not yet not yet well stay tuned you're with me on that right i'm with you on that okay all right
0: Stay tuned, folks. Uh, when is is it uh, November? They announced the inductees. Oh, who or is knows? it December? I don't. Oh, December. Inductees will be announced in December 2018. So, you guys make your own uh, choices as well. We'd love to hear from you and hear what who you think should be Oh yeah, be yeah. And yeah. Maybe absolutely. even I mean, why. I,
1: yeah. And, but, uh, put, put comments and stuff up there online. Yeah. I won't.
0: I won't read them. But and maybe free. I'll read them to you because you can't <laughs> oh, read. I'll bring you okay. some coloring books too. So kudos to all you guys for being uh nominated, and best of luck to you.
2: So fine, so fine, so fine, so fine, so fine, so fine, so fine. So fine. So far.
0: Was So Fine by 1913, featuring the Von Schiffs, which is Janet Schiff and her sisters singing. Uh, 1913 also features Victor DeLorenzo, founding member of the Violent Femmes. And Victor is currently featured in a penthouse interview where he talks about all things music, including the 1913 vehicle that they're currently maneuvering the world with. Uh, But if you're not all over the world and you are in the Milwaukee area, uh, they got a couple shows coming up just around the corner at Anodyne Coffee Roasting Company, November 9th, and at the Jazz Estate, December 14th. I think they've done some regular shows there before. Anyway, a great uh, a great duo uh, with some side members uh, joining in uh, on this particular EP. Check them out, 1913. Our last segment we're going to go into here, as we are running out of time, is our usual segment of what we're listening to, what we're grooving on, what's spinning our gears.
1: Gene? Well, as usual, I'm, I'm, it's, like, oh, I always feel like I'm mentioning something that was released a year ago from whenever I'm speaking. And, and, and this time around is no different. Um, it's just, I've, I've just locked in a little more to the albums uh, undivided heart and soul by JD McPherson. um, And it is, this is, it could be a whole other topic. It's his third album. It's his third full length album. And that's got to be a thing, man. For a lot of uh, tradition, the third album is usually a really, really uh, strong point in a lot of careers. Uh, I think for the Beatles, there is their third album, Hard Days Nights. First time we get an album of all original Lennon McCartney tunes. Right. Um, we talk about know, Springsteen's Born to Run, pivotal. Uh, making Movies, but our straits. War for you too. Um, okay, Computer for uh, Radiohead. It, the, album number two, or a learning to crawl for the pretenders uh, you know it's sort of like the the cliche is that the first album is you've got your entire life to prepare and make your first album the second one suffers because you usually you've been on the road for a year you know and you don't have time to think about it and then usually either people quit or die or whoever's not in this for the long run is right. gone when you're about to make that third album and um it's like chrissy Hines said on her third album i'm not the kind i used to be i've got a kid i'm 33 baby." Um, so McPherson here on his third album, uh, obviously he and his band, uh, they know how to embrace roots music, uh, old R, you know, R and B, um, kind of little Richard rock and roll and, and rockabilly and just grooves of that era. And, um, and I'll tell you what, when you see those guys live, it is it is magnificent i know i've talked about it on a previous episode but it is a dynamic experience and again an artist and a band who understand how important it is to be able to dance to rock music mm-hmm. um so this time out just he just spreads his wings songwriting he, he does here there's some more co-writing with other people sonically there's different instruments going on uh things recorded a little differently um and it just I guess you just hear a guy trying to shed a little bit of the, um, the, 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 niche of, uh, you know, retro, whatever, whatever banner he's been under. It's just, he just grows tremendously. Um, the band just sounds so good on this thing. And, and the songs are, there's a, a song called crying's just a thing you do, which I really, really love. Mm. Um, another one called uh, style is a losing game. Uh, the opening track, desperate love is fantastic. Uh, It's about 40 minutes of just very, very thoughtful, heartfelt, just uh, well-thought-out rock, in my opinion. I just think like if if people are out there and they don't – just trying to find something to to inspire them, something you put on in the background, or if you want to pay attention to it, go ahead. But this thing will not let you down. Undivided heart. It's just such a great record. So congratulations to these guys for oh, that's for, great. Uh, for pulling it off yet again, but pulling it off in a way that sounds different than the previous releases.
0: Yeah, I really loved uh, Bridge Builder off of uh, was it their previous record or the two before that? I forget. But
1: Bridge Builder's on on the the last one. Uh, Let the good times roll. That I love that record. I just great, but, but, great And film. I still, I, I just think that the the, uh, the first song from that first, uh, North uh, North Side Gal that was the first yeah, thing yeah, I ever yeah, heard. Yeah. I. Just, Obviously, that's going to go on our playlist now. But that is—you <laughs> hear it, and it's one of those things where you're like, "What is this? When was this made? Where's this come from?" It—it it has this just—it it just has this um, confidence. Like, it's a record that knows exactly what it is, and and um, and that's—I love—I love it when music make you know when I recognize that in a, in a recording. a yeah, awesome. uh, And and this third record, it comes kind of out of nowhere if you if you're familiar with jd already but it it never wavers again this whole album it knows what it is so now this is what really really this is
0: important to me is when a musician like yourself gets that excited about a piece of music you know that it's not just something being fed to somebody on the radio over and over and over till it sticks you're a musician and you're amazed by (laughs) <laughs> the confidence of this record or the, you know <laughs> yeah. what it's like that that should be paid attention to you know the fact that that somebody who makes music is you know jaw dropped on this one so uh mm-hmm. spend some time with it um
1: what about you what are you listening
0: to i've got about 3 or 4 here that i've been that have been on a pretty good rotation um the new one by mark lanigan and duke garwood called with animals is mm-hmm. a track oh. called feast to famine which i i think is is beautiful um reminds me a lot of some of the uh daniel lenoir uh solo releases of the last 10 to 12 years or so um very lenoir-esque uh, guitar parts in there and very uh dreamy soundscapes um and i've never mm-hmm. been a mark Lanigan fan uh although i've tried and tried and tried every time a new it's, release you know what came that's
1: out. surprising it seems like he would be right up your alley i
0: know but this is the one this is the one it okay. had to happen at some okay. point so that's you know is. this is my gateway album so uh beyond that jim james of my morning jacket has a, a another solo record this year um
1: so hey so yeah, yeah what's the deal man is the, is there a, a morning jacket there is oh so they're still gigging They're all? still
0: there's still a thing okay. um i think there's an album in the works too but in the oh, meantime okay. jim's doing the solo thing i believe he's out on tour right now and he put out a record called uniform distortion <laughs> a couple months back and this is the follow-up uniform clarity which is sort of the acoustic version of that record so this is something similar to what uh see what
1: he did there with the the name yes it's kind of like what
0: uh, was it connor connor oberst did that uh a year or so ago he had like (laughs) two records of the same songs but they're like completely different approaches
1: connor would probably figure out a way to 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 release a, a record six different ways yeah just so it'd be even more out there
0: why not and then go out on six different tours yeah, so I'm I'm digging this acoustic one. Actually, the the uh electric record didn't didn't grab me so much. Um mm-hmm. but this one did, and it'll probably guide me back to that first one to to reinvestigate those songs. Um You know, uh
1: it, just just uh as an excuse to get it on the playlist. You, you, what, what? <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> What's the movie, the, the Dylan movie that's not really a Dylan movie, but it's a total Dylan movie? Hand of the Hand? No. Um, um Ronaldo and Clara? <laughs> no. Dylan's not in it. A bunch oh. of other people play him. Oh, I'm is not it, here. Is, I'm, I'm not here. Yeah, the going to Acapulco sequence. It's Richard. It's Richard Gear is essentially the Dylan character, yeah. and um, it's cinematic. It's so beautiful. It's just gorgeous. because so, it's kind of covering like the Blood on the Tracks feels. So everything's in these autumnal colors, and there's you you feel an apocalypse somehow, and you don't know what's going on, and then. There's essentially a really odd gothic funeral scene, um, and and it's I it's it's my morning jacket. It's the it's, band, it's, yeah, yeah, performing. And I think uh, Jim's
0: got doing, that that uh, the white face paint. Yeah, he's doing
1: the yeah, he's, he's doing, doing the Rolling the Thunder. <laughs> yeah, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan, Yeah, Dylan wore. Uh, Dylan was under the influence of a of a uh, a French movie about a mine. A uh, completely obscure movie about a, a, a mime, and so that whole Rolling Thunder Review, Ronaldo and Clara thing. Yeah, he's wearing this mime makeup, and he didn't tell anybody why. So yeah, because so Jim James, yeah, but he's got the he's got the white face makeup. But um, and I just think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous version of of a, of a Dylan song. I never really thought twice about, mm-hmm. but uh, I give those guys credit for um, for really owning that song. And uh, and making it very 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 moving. Definitely, so, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just, oh no I problem, just no
0: problem. And, you know that soundtrack too. Actually, there's versions of songs on there that I wasn't aware of before by Dylan. That uh,
1: hearing <laughs> hearing
0: their versions made me go back and discover the original. So I mean, there's this, the power of good cover songs when they're when they're done right or they're presented in a situation like in a movie where it really well, stands out. Then yeah,
1: I saw that movie. Uh, I was on the road and travel conditions were being what they were there was some flight delays and everything got messed up so i had been up for about 24 hours and then we arrived I, it wasn't it was somewhere in the somewhere in, in the rockies so now i've got 24 hours of no sleep i'm at a, a high elevation and it's like one in the afternoon and i just get in the hotel room and i turn on the tv and that movie's playing so you want to talk about not making sense you know what i mean like yeah. i just i didn't know what part <laughs> of this thing was it was a dream. I was I was yeah. That was a uh, yeah. I'll I'll never re- be able to recreate those conditions again. Uh, and then I saw it again just on normal rest and it at a, wasn't the same. Normal elevation and it was still it was it was really still very wacky but really enjoyable. Because <laughs> I'm such a nerd with the Dylan stuff that every little illusion and detail it's like very exciting you know, it's almost like somebody published a magazine of the contents of my pockets or something. Was like <laughs> oh my god, this is fascinating.
0: That's very interesting. Maybe a future episode. Maybe we'll do okay. that. We'll just empty our pockets one episode. <laughs> That's a concept. Yeah. That's we'll concept do it at the airport. All right. All right. Uh, I've, I've been a fan of the the Patreon um, system online where you can mm-hmm. subscribe and support uh, oh,
1: artists. Yeah. I, I, you get I little rewards
0: back. And so there's a few that I follow. Uh, Richard Edwards is one. Um, uh, Bob Schneider, Austin, Texas singer-songwriter. And then Mike Doty from Soul Coughing. And he's pretty much putting out a song a day, which is awesome. And uh, there's there's one that I really uh, latched onto called "Can You Hear My Breaking Bones." Um, so that's one. It's you're not. It's not going to make the playlist because it's not available anywhere but Patreon. Uh, com. Oh, okay. So consider that if you really love artists and you want to support them, this is really a way that directly supports them, and you get something out of it too. Um, but the other, the big release that uh, I'm I'm really loving just came out about a week or two back. Is the new album by Elvis Costello and the Imposters called "Look Now," and this is uh, it's got a handful of new uh, collaborations with Burt Bacharach, um, just gorgeous, gorgeous um, soundscapes, and and he even sings, uh, I, I believe, in French in one song. So, but yeah, so Elvis is uh, out on tour with the Imposters shortly. He's going to be coming to my part of town next month. So I'll be seeing him at the House of Blues, Anaheim. I'll right. see you there Gene get him to re- get- <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can you drop me off bastard. Like, <laughs> bastard
1: I share a humble story and this is what you do to me well this. I deserve it I'm sorry because that was funny it's
0: alright so, so that's what we've been listening to a little bit um, glad to always share that stuff with you and speaking of Costello let's play something off the brand new album by Clover featuring guest vocalist Elvis Costello this is Mr. Moon <laughs> just heard the very latest from the band clover featuring elvis costello on the vocals that's mr moon also on that track uh pete thomas drummer from the imposters and the attractions uh, he's been with elvis costello since the the late 70s and uh, there are a lot of great guest appearances on this new clover record it's called homestead redemption uh sean hopper's on it Uh, Huey Lewis plays on it, and Huey Lewis did some time with Clover back in the 70s. Now, it's worth noting that this is the first new music from Clover in 41 years. Their last album came out in 1977. So, uh, head on over to CloverBand.net if you'd like to find out more about what they're currently doing and how you can get the new CD. And the guys in the band promised me that when they're in town in the LA area, they're going to swing into the studio with us and we'll do a session with them. So, I, I hope we can make that happen. In the meantime, go find their record. The Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, Alexa, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. If you have a chance, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen. And also check out our companion episode playlist on Spotify. The link will be on our homepage, uh, which is www.thejukeboxgraduate.com. Uh, we'd like to thank Janet Schiff and Victor Lorenzo of 1913 for the music. Also, Mitch Howie and Alex Call for the new music from Clover, as well as a uh, shout out to Olivia Ledesma.
1: And as always, this episode of The Jukebox Graduate was brought to you by Satellite Amplifiers.
0: All right. We love those guys. You ready for the lyric?
1: I think I'm ready for the lyric.
0: Smoke is coming from your ears. I can hear the turning of the gears. It's a hell of a distance from your hand to your beer. If anything changes, I'm right here. This is Dave Rayburn.
1: Isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? How we break each other's hearts and call each other names. This is Eugene Edwards, and this has been The Jukebox Graduate.